Welcome sentient beings from all known universes and beyond. It's time to activate your cranial downlinks and prepare to receive a raft of discussion on the cosmic ocean of science fiction and fantasy topics, interviews with local area genre devotees, and insightful prognostication by our soothsayers of science fiction, our forecasters of fantasy, and any other beings that happen to get caught in our gravity well. This is the Galactic Driftwood Podcast. Welcome to Galactic Driftwood. I'm John. I'm Bill. I'm Charles. I'm Audie. And we're excited to be doing this live from British Fest. Uh, one of my personal favorite science fiction conventions. And it excites me that Charles and Audie are both here for their first science fiction convention. Is it actually your first, you guys? Yes. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, definitely first British Fest. Nice. Well, I, 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 have, have you I been to it? it's the first sci-fi... Well, yeah. well, well, okay. I hadn't it, thought about it like that. I, yes. I see, yes. What I know about sci-fi conventions is if you go to one, it's, there's no mistaking it. You know you've been to a sci-fi then, convention. Okay. Yeah. Right. I just always sort hesitant. of like I'm, going. Is I'm always hesitant to admit that this is my first. Is it sort of like going to prison? Uh, you never forget your first time. <laughs> I, I have right. no idea what the British best shower situation is. I don't yeah, know. I'm going to be eating my food guarded after this. Yeah. Don't, right. don't know. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think that they're going to have a good time. What do you think, Bill? I think they're going to have a great time. Um, the convention has started, right? So the, that means the vendor room's open. Uh, Moose yes. has a fantastic prop display room, um, a full Tom Baker Irritardis console, uh, a number of Star Wars droids. He's got mm -hmm. the um, entry facade of Bilbo Baggins' house in the Shire. Um, he's recreated the Black Archive from Doctor Who. Um, he's got a door from Sherlock Holmes, 221B Baker Street, that you can get your picture taken in front of. In fact, any of these props you can get your picture taken in front of. Yes. And... Um, there's a lot of different vendors that are going to be here. There's a lot of great panels that are coming. Uh, you're doing one right after our podcast here yes, in this I room. Am. What's your What's your topic? British conspiracy theories. Okay. And I'm doing it with Tom Ulrich, uh, who actually runs a conspiracy theory website. So it should ah. get really weird. Okay. Uh, I love it when it gets weird. <laughs> you're doing a panel tomorrow, aren't you? Um, yes. Well, so um, I'm actually at 2 o'clock this afternoon. I'm doing a Tesla coil demo. Yes. We've got a 500,000-volt Tesla coil that will be running inside the hotel here. So if all of their computer systems go down, I know nothing. <laughs> I, I, I know, know nothing. <laughs> and uh, then uh, tomorrow I'll be assisting uh, with a panel. I'll be moderating a panel Um um, a couple has written a book about, I think it's like, a hundred things to do in Omaha before you die or something to that effect. And um, so I'll be moderating that panel as the war doctor, and it will right. be as if I just arrived in Omaha and I found this book and I'm questioning the authors. Okay. Well, so, that'll be, are you going to video that one? Uh, uh, no. Nope. So Power. there are some things you really have to come to the con for yeah, to get that you do. full experience. So you um, do, but I might video the Tesla coil demo just because See, I. I love the one fun fact about your Tesla coil is that 
It has like a ten foot death radius. Yes. And a four foot cord. That is so hard. it's like, <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. I don't. I don't. I think that it's like as an engineer, Charles. Is that a design flaw? I think. <laughs> I, <laughs> it sounds to me like it's more like a design feature. Unless it's, unless it's a euthanasia machine, well, in which case <clears> it's actually. I think it's designed to weed out those people that shouldn't be using ah, it to begin with. Natural yeah. selection. I, I approve. <clears throat> I do. Yeah. Is that how it would be done, Charles, from an engineering perspective? Yeah, it's you, a good, to... uh, you could think of it as a breakup machine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, cool. But, yeah. no, I'm excited. The cosplayers are starting to trickle in. Yes. Um, good. good. It's, uh, it's rainy outside, so what else are you going to do? Right. So, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm Who are you going to call? I'm in my Jedi outfit. Ghostbusters. You're using your Jedi outfit. Uh, yeah. Because of my Tesla coil demo, I'm just wearing Got my my, sword. my mad scientist set. union local 42. Yeah, where's your lab coat? Yeah, it's in the car. Ah, okay. So I was afraid I'd be running around and hot setting up equipment this morning. So John's ready to... Fight evil. Yeah, be careful you don't sever your mic cord because... Nice. Ah, yes. And that's getting on camera too, so... On guard. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> well, um, no sit at this panel, I'll tell you that right <clears throat> now. I brought um, a little something that I thought would be great to kick off our discussion today. Ah. And um, this is more um, kind of reality based necessarily than yeah. science fiction. <clears throat> it's, um, this applies actually very well. Yeah. yeah it's from space.com. And. Um, uh, it, it kind of starts out one night about 60 years ago. Physicist Enrico Fermi looked up in, into the sky and he asked, yes. where is everybody? The Fermi paradox. Of course, yes. he was talking about aliens. And today, scientists know that there are millions, perhaps billions, of planets in the universe that could sustain life. Mm -hmm. So in the long history of everything, why hasn't any of this alien life made it far enough into space to shake hands or claws or tentacles uh, with humans. And so they've come up with a list of nine strange answers that scientists have proposed for Fermi's paradox. Well, Fermi's paradox is interesting because uh, Fermi actually was very uh, conservative with his math, yeah. uh, postulating uh, time it takes for a civilization to arise postulating how long it would take a civilization to go from planet to planet uh, at sublight speeds because uh, faster than light speed is not possible. I'm sure we can change those equations if and when we find a way to go faster than light. But right. he was very conservative, and he said they should be here. They should have been here a long time ago. They should be all over the place. But they're not. So that's where this comes in. And I'm fascinated to hear about these Nine, Nine explanations. Rules. Well, and I actually have maybe just a tenth one that I thought of while you were talking, and that is maybe they did come here, but when they landed and they opened up the door, all they saw were dinosaurs, and they were immediately eaten. Yeah. Mm. I thought you were going to go ancient aliens on me for a minute. Okay. <clears throat> no, that, no. I'm, I'm glad you did not, because I did not. Do honestly, that. you just don't have the hair <laughs> to, to, <laughs> to do that. Right. You know, so right. it's all good. Okay, so the first reason is that the aliens are hiding in underground oceans. <clears throat> Subsurface oceans of liquid water slosh beneath multiple moons in our solar system and may be common throughout the Milky Way. 
and that's where life could be formed and could live. And many of these um, aliens may not even realize that there's a sky up above them. It, the, the surface of the ocean is frozen mm-hmm. over maybe a mile thick. Yeah. And so all they know is their entire universe consists of their ocean. The, one of the biggest problems humans have going into space is carrying their ecosystem with them, the, the life support systems. I can't imagine how much harder that would be if you breathed water. It's yeah. like because the weight would be more, I, I can't, I imagine there'd be more you know what that You know what that brings to mind is harder? the um, uh, Star Trek with the whales. Yes. Because yeah. yes. that giant cylinder, which yeah. in my mind was full of whales. It would have to yeah. be. Or, or right? cetaceans, which, right. yeah, <clears throat> whale-like beings. Yes. Yeah. Right. So they that, that whole container is filled with liquid. And... You know, um, I imagine them with transporters that beam them into the middle of the ocean when they want to go down and. Right, they have to put on their wetsuits every time we want to visit well, yeah. a planet. Well, I guess right. I guess <laughs> it's like we go Class yeah. M, and yeah. in Star Trek, there's so many Class Ms where they could just beam right. down without a suit. Right. So I guess there's Class M water worlds for them. It's right. Like, Water's water, just gonna go there. Right. right. Get in the Chevy and go. Remember we were talking about That's that the right. other day. Yeah. Star Trek is just a bunch of dudes and dudettes. In a Chevy, and yeah. it's like, hey, what's over there? Hey, let's get right. in the Chevy and go there. And it's like, that's pretty much Star Trek right there. Right. So, yeah, so the odds are that there probably aren't any ocean-going aliens that are out there um, sailing around in water-filled spacecraft. Because that would be... It would be... I, that would not, I, I wouldn't say there aren't any, but it's, I'm sure... Yeah. I mean, uh, the... Law of diminishing returns is it's already hard enough with just air for right. rockets at one gravity to get to escape the gravity well. So, right. well, and here's the thing: if you're a creature underwater, how do you smelt steel and iron? Yes, and our our whole te- our whole technology is based upon fire. Right, and there's you know no fire. Uh, it would be hard. To make the alloys, to mix the chemical compositions no, no of. Idea. Right. Oh, Charles got something to say. No, I have no idea. I did read that article yesterday, I think it was, on the ethics if it turned out there was life on Mars in underground. Yeah, water, water oceans. Water, water. Uh-huh. yeah. That's Which, more likely on Europa, but yeah. Yeah. But they they did find that huge new ocean on on Mars. Yeah, well, lake, it, yeah, ocean, sea. It, it's yeah, but it's like so. What did they say? What are the ethics? Should they, should we? Oh no, I thought it was laughable that we would consider ethics. But anyway. Well, no, I mean, really, if if it's if it's life that arose independently of our life, then should, do we have the right to destroy it? Yeah, yeah. Do we have the right to destroy our own oceans? Yeah. Well. Do yeah. we? I mean, it's, it's, it's a it murky. Is it different? But it almost feels weird. It's like it's yeah. like we're going to someone else's playground and, and just, you know, taking all the sand. Yeah, whether we should or not, for our oceans, we're already doing it. So, obviously, we shouldn't, not only for the sake of the life in the oceans, but for our own sake, because a large percentage of the population relies on the oceans for survival, for food. and It's all going to depend on whether or not the life is cute and cuddly. <laughs> you mean yeah. like a cuddlefish? Yeah. So if it's a cuddlefish, we'll go. 
well, if, if it's, it's a yeah, spiny fish, we won't. If it's a little fish. Well, if it's a little Ewok fish, we'd go. We well, we'd we'd be nicer to it, <laughs> right? Well, <clears throat> uh, yeah, we like we like big-eyed creatures with the not neotenous features that yeah. baby-like, and it's like yeah, if they're scary. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to number two so we can get through this list or we'll have to split this into five shows. Um, Okay. The second possible reason is that the aliens are imprisoned on super Earths. Which is the same thing I was talking about in terms of escape velocity from if the planet has like one and a half to two G's, uh, two gravities. Yeah. Then the chemical rockets we use would be impossible. Yeah. Um, without like uh, massively overscaling, well, or or using like gravity assists and or or like rolling it down. For so for for listeners, there's somebody raising their hand in the audience. Okay, so for listeners that are not familiar with the concept of a super Earth in astronomy, the term refers to a type of planet that has a mass up to ten times greater than Earth's. Um, and what's your question? Oh, the second possible reason that we haven't encountered aliens yet, <coughs> why they yes. haven't come to Earth to visit. So so a, a planet with a, a 10 times the mass of Earth would have um, um, up to 2.4 times Earth's gravity, which would make overcoming that pull for rocket launchers and space travel nearly impossible. And <coughs> if it was possible, it would make spaceflight exponentially more expensive. Or, or impossible. Right. I mean, all, all of the crude rockets we, we built to actually get to the point where we could leave. Because it took a long yeah. time for us to actually get a, a stable rocket that allowed us to actually escape Earth's gravity. It might not be possible with simple chemical reactions that we've been using. It's yeah. like locks, liquid oxygen, and hydrogen just might not do it. Now, here's a thought. In the future, could we use a super Earth, maybe something with three Gs? as a way to imprison people well, for life. Uh, you send them to the planet. When Earth's overcrowded, you don't they, have any more they room. They die, really. Because the Earth's, our circulatory system is not, it's barely uh, capable of handling, handling bipedalism at 1G. Uh, I'd see well, strokes what you do? very well, fast. The, the, the time to get there, it would take a while. And during that trip to the super-Earth, the prison barge has a centrifuge and it just rotates and it rotates increasingly faster on the well, say hundred year trip. Of, you've put a lot of thought into yeah, sending yeah, the prisoners to Australia. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. there, there's yeah. a there's yeah. inherent limits on human biology and it's just not designed for sustained uh, 3G. 3Gs. Yeah. It's like I mean I, I I wish any test pilots in the audience <laughs> I didn't because I, I think they'd tell you yeah, the, that's it, you can handle it for a very limited amount of time, but it's I don't think. And if you tripped, you would like crush your own skull. Yeah, well, it's like the so uh, it could still be a life sentence on a three G planet. Yeah, but it'd be like, your life would be very short. Yeah, so I mean, it seems awfully expensive to ship them. Yeah, uh, and then put them on a planet. Just to die yeah, within just, yeah. hours. Uh, Especially when there's a 10-foot radius around a Tesla coil in the room. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You can just say, could you go plug that in for me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I can see that. All right. That's All right. Well, reason number three, we have not encountered aliens yet. 
why aliens have not visited the Earth, we're looking in the wrong places because all of the aliens are robots. So this one basically says, you know, humans invented radio around 1900, built the first computer in 1945, and now we're in the business of mass-producing handheld devices capable of making billions of calculations per second. Full-blown artificial intelligence may be right around the corner. Um, well. So any alien in society that invents radio... Within a few centuries, they've invented their successors, which may have taken over, done away with them, and then moved to a more energy-rich part of the galaxy. Almost certainly have done away with them. Uh, why do we build machines? Uh, make our lives easier. To make our lives easier. What is the mandatory emphasis in terms of uh, robotic performance? Efficiency. Right. What's the most inefficient thing in any human system? The human. Yeah. So it really, literally... If uh, AI happens, if someday our computers wake up, we have actually programmed them to destroy us. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and then, they have to because we told them, make right. it efficient. Right. And it's like, okay then. Right. And then those same systems would move to a more energy-rich, energy-dense area of the universe, the core. They'd move anywhere they want. Right. Yeah. And where they could get the energy to run their, their systems. There's, all right. Do you know what a von Neumann probe is? The von Neumann probe, it's a probe that exists only to create more of itself. It is one of the theoretical ways of exploring the galaxy because it just, as probes enter solar systems, it just, they start making more of themselves. And eventually, they take everything from that system and they go everywhere. I'm thinking of the proto-molecule in the well, expanse. Well, it's mm. nothing, well, you know, a little bit. But it's like von Neumann machines don't have... Uh, much in the way of uh, programming. Um, and it only takes one. If there's one out there, it will destroy yeah. the entire universe, given time. Because yeah. in the end, all there can be is von Neumann machines. That's all they do. Sounds like humans. Well, <laughs> yeah, we are von Neumann machines. Yeah, yeah we kind of are. We, we spread like a virus, too. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, so the next reason, I think this is, are we on to reason five now? Um, we've already found aliens. <clears throat> but we're too distracted to realize it. So thanks to pop culture, the word alien probably makes you envision a spooky humanoid with a big bald head, or in this case, a Balchinian. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And um, so these preconceived images of E.T. could sabotage our search for alien life. In a small study, researchers asked 137 people to look at pictures of other planets and scan the images for signs of alien structures. Hidden among several of these images was a tiny man in a gorilla suit. They called him Bigfoot, I think. Um, as the participants hunted for what they imagined alien life to look like, only about 30% of the participants noticed the gorilla man because they were so focused on looking for structures that they completely bypassed the alien life. And so that could be our problem with sending probes there. We're looking for a specific type of thing, well, yeah. and maybe we're missing something that's... We're, yeah, we're looking for life like us. And it's like, there's, there's a fair chance there's all kinds of life out there that we'll never be able to communicate with. It's yeah. like, if there's something living in Jupiter's atmosphere, we'll never really find a way to, to, to deal with that. Or changing so, the channel every time the, the history yeah. channel comes on was a mistake. Yeah. Right. What? Right. 
Because yep. I'm missing out on all the oh, aliens. Yeah, he, she oh. should have watched the History Channel to oh. find out about the Balchinians. <laughs> uh, as someone acquainted with UFO lore, uh, they're all almost entirely humanoid, bipedal, which yeah. is silly. Um, By the way, folks, as you come in here, there is some boxes of donuts back there. Please help yourselves. Is this where we want to cut and talk about or show the, the pretty yeah, people? Yeah, let's, we're, let's, uh, we're going to take a quick pause here and uh, show some interviews we did with some of the cosplayers here at the con. So watch this. Today I'm cosplaying Peter Pan. I felt like it. Excuse you. <laughs> um, it's uh, actually a pretty British character uh, created by a, a, Scot a Scottish person, actually. Oh, really? Um, but there's a lot of British tie-in, and I have fun with it. Cool. So tell us about how you put the outfit together. All right. I started with a vintage dress that I found that was actually just kind of an off-white color. And then I did all of the paintwork on it, and um, I cut it to the right length. I split up the sides. I made these sleeves out of out of leather and attached those, um, and then added a bunch of accessories. And now, did it already have all the embroidery on there? The embroidery was part of, of it, um, but I did a lot of a lot of I did painting on that too. It was just this really kind of boring thing. Okay, cool. Um, so, how long have you been into cosplay? And what oh. prompted you to get started? <laughs> I've been cosplaying <laughs> for about eight years, um, but before that, uh, Halloween had always been my favorite holiday. I, I love costumes, and it was my excuse to make a costume every year. And then I realized there are other excuses to make costumes, and I've just been going ever since. I am cosplaying Talion uh, from the video game Shadow of Mordor in the Lord of the Rings universe. Okay, can you tell us about how you put it all together? Uh, a lot of the costume is either leather or 3D printed. So the swords I, I modeled in Fusion 360, a 3D modeling program, and then printed out all the parts, put it all together, painted it, um, and then all the leather was also uh, hand-dyed, tooled, and otherwise assembled by yours truly. Um, the, the costume is 100% handmade. Um, the, the wig I bought and then modified, but everything else is handmade. So how did you learn to do all of that? Years and years of failing at things. Um, I, I only recently got into 3D printing and 3D modeling. Um, this is the first costume that I 3D modeled. Um, so I had to teach myself 3D modeling, and and I learned about 3D printing, got a 3D printer, put it together, and uh, and then just set myself a goal and finished the costume just in time for Planet Comic Con. Uh, I'm Ahsoka Tano from Star Wars Rebels. Okay. Uh, Ahsoka was first introduced in Star Wars The Clone Wars as Anakin Skywalker's Padawan. And then for the finale before it had been cancelled, partly because Luca, Disney bought Lucasfilm, uh, they wrote Ahsoka out as that she was framed for murder and, left, and kicked out of the Jedi. And after she had cleared her name, they offered to let her come back, and she opted not to. Because she said, they could, you know, they wouldn't trust me when I needed them to. How am I supposed to trust them? Wow. Now, how did you uh, make the costume? How is it all? I mean, I assume, did you make it all from hand, or did you buy parts of it? Or? Uh, the only thing that's not completely altered was the leggings. Uh, my, mom, my mom actually did more of the work than I did. I did more of the painting, but 
Yeah, the Montrals are made of uh, cloth filled with stuffing to help hold the shape, and then they're covered with liquid latex to kind of give it more flush look, and then lots of paint because the latex within the paint was not going well together, so it took several coats of blue. And everything else is made out of craft foam. So it was all cut, sh uh, cut shifted, and lots of paint and uh, uh, polyurethane to coat it. The lightsaber is also foam layered together, covered in cloth also, and then painted, and there's like thumbtacks for the buttons on them. I'm cosplaying Samuel Tarly from the show Game of Thrones, and this is his most recent outfit from the, the season seven last year. Okay, and how'd you go about putting it all together? Um, I actually sewed all of this myself. The only part of this, I, it's actually a modified chef's jacket pattern, <laughs> um, because obviously they don't make patterns for this kind of stuff. But um, no, I, uh, I sewed it myself. I had uh, made a lot of foam work. I did this, uh, some repainting of this book and then have a surprise on the inside. <laughs> Any Game of Thrones fan will really, really appreciate that. Excellent. Are there any cons that you're looking forward to attending to this year? Uh, Wizard World Comic Con in Chicago. Um, I'm excited to be there. That'll be the largest convention I've ever gone to. And then also uh, Tesla Con, as I enjoy going there every year. Now, what sort of cosplays are you planning for those? Um, the next costume after, well, this one I just finished, and then the next one I'm doing is a a very obscure Doctor Who character called uh, Victor Kennedy, the Absorbaloff. Oh, okay. And for those who don't know, he's, he's basically just the worst Doctor Who villain. <laughs> okay. Okay, we're that back. That was pretty good. Um, yeah. <laughs> Part yes. of the magic of TV. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, okay, so uh, back to our discussion of why we may not have um, already been in have already encountered aliens, why they may not have already visited Earth. The next reason is that um, humans will kill or already have killed all of the aliens. So this one's kind of weird, but here's how, the how thinking. Do we do that? I here's mean, the thinking. Trapped on this one planet. That's, that's a neat trick. Yeah. Any civilization capable of exploring beyond its own solar system must be on a path of unrestricted growth and expansion. And as we know on Earth, that expansion often comes at the expense of smaller in-the-way organisms. Like Native Americans. Yeah. yeah. Right. So this theoretical f physicist, Alexander Brezin, said this me-first mentality probably wouldn't end when alien life is finally encountered, assuming we notice it to begin with. So uh, it says, what if the first life that reaches interstellar travel capability automatically or necessarily eradicates all competition in order to fuel its own expansion? Well, I mean, honestly, all, all, we, we've taken out, like, we, we kill about one species a day. Um, we save the ones we think are cute. We breed them into things that we think are even cuter, like toy dogs. Like Dogs yeah. should never forgive us for that. But it's like, honestly, intelligence uh, appears to dominate in carnivores. Uh, aggression seems to be a natural trait of intelligence. So in such a way, in, so, in a sense like that, yes. Uh, if they are looking for uh, new places to, you know, to be, then we're kind of in the way. Although, uh, the idea that they would actually line up totally with our biosphere is a little strange. True. Um, but he says, he's suggesting, 
He's not suggesting that a highly developed civilization would consciously wipe out other life forms. Most likely, they simply won't notice other yeah. inferior life forms and wipe them out just as a consequence of their natural yeah, the, evolution. The life, we were talking about Mars a minute ago, about uh, the ethics of, of, of killing life on Mars. Any life on Mars is going to be, uh, at best, like an algae mat. It's like that's the most probably Very advanced primitive. form. Right. But do we have the right to destroy that? And, right. and in terms of human expansion, the answer is going to be yes. Yeah. Uh, human history will show you that we will kill things a lot smarter than algae. Yeah. Well, and we think nothing of paving over an anthill for a road. Yeah. yeah. Right. And it, it's ants are far more complicated than algae. Right. So it's like yeah, and and Mars is really, uh, really good real estate but, in terms of the solar system. But this concept was more that we we've already killed the space ants. Well, yeah, but right. they, how did we do that? We haven't. Well, I think I think he's talking about other species that are more advanced than us have already gone out and oh, took, taking care of that for us. Yeah. Well, that's and, nice of them. And so yeah, so I don't know. That one's kind of a bit of a reach for me, but okay. So the next one is the aliens triggered climate change on their planet, and that eradicated them. Yeah, well, it's like in the Drake equation. We will find out in a short period of time. Oh, yeah. In the Drake yeah. equation, one of the calculations is how long a technological civilization survives. Uh, we seem to have uh, built in the seeds of our own destruction, uh, runaway capitalism and environmental degradation. So it's like it doesn't seem like intelligence is necessarily a survival factor in terms of long-term survival. Uh, dinosaurs Almost seems lasted, the contrary. Yeah, dinosaurs lasted like many, many millions of years. Humans right. will make it maybe three hundred thousand, and that's that, that, yep. yeah, yeah, not necessarily a survival factor. So yeah, yep. So um, yeah, that uh, is that one. That's so the next great. one, moving right along, uh, the aliens couldn't evolve fast enough and died. So this kind of goes to what you were just talking about regarding the dinosaurs, in that the dinosaurs lived for 65 or millions of years, right? 65 Around million years ago. Around 100 million years. Yeah. yeah. Well, and they uh, didn't, 200 million, but yeah. And they didn't evolve yeah. fast enough Depending to create asteroid deflecting mechanisms. Yeah. Now, we've evolved fast enough. We've got or, the... Or robots. Or robots. Now, we've evolved fast enough to be able to do that, but yet we haven't put the effort into it. Well, and there's a good chance that by not doing so, we risk our very survival should do. another asteroid hit this planet. Because one could, like, pop in from uh, the uh, Oort cloud from behind the sun, yeah. come shoot around, and hit us within days. Yeah. And there's no nothing we could do about it. And we don't take that serious enough. But also, if you look at it in terms of life... Uh, Choices, not not choices. Um, the way the way that uh, life matures on this planet, asteroids are a part of the life cycle. Right. Um, they every once in a while they come, they eradicate everything. Something else comes up. Yeah. And, and in fact, without an asteroid hit, we wouldn't be here. Right. Yeah. There'd be no way that humans would have uh, evolved from the tiny mammals that lived among the dinosaur eggs, subsisting on a scavenging diet, without the removal of basically almost all of the dinosaurs. Yeah. So we needed that to happen. 
And we seem to value the idea of our own personal existence our, 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 as a species. Um, all species live and die. It, it just happens. In fact, we're not going to stay like right. this. Uh, we're going to change over time. Um, but it's, the thing is, is, we look at the, the death of all of these things as something to be avoided. And personally, I would like to avoid it myself, but it's actually just part of how all this works. Right. So if you don't evolve fast enough and, well, and get smart enough to but create systems to prevent your own destruction. We could do that now, but we're right. also smart enough to destroy ourselves. Right. So literally, it's like it's, it's a race, I guess, between the asteroids and uh, consumer capitalism to see which one's going to kill us first. But it seems right. almost certain that we are on our way out. Okay. The eighth reason that we may not have shaken hands with aliens yet, dark energy is splitting us apart. So the reasoning goes, the universe is expanding. Slowly but surely, galaxies are moving farther apart, with distant stars appearing dimmer to us all the time, thanks to the push of a mysterious invisible substance scientists call dark energy. Scientists speculate that within a few trillion years, dark energy will stretch the universe so much that Earthlings will no longer be able to see the light of any galaxies beyond our closest cosmic neighbors. I like how they trivialize trillions. Like, just a few trillion. Yeah. Right, you right. Know, that's a lot. Yeah. So uh, that's a scary thought because if we don't e explore as much of the universe as possible before then, such investigations may be lost to us forever yeah. because you won't be able to see these well, distant the, the light galaxies. won't even make it to us anymore at a certain right. point. They're just going to accelerate right they'll away. Be, they'll actually be accelerating away from us faster than the speed of light because the universe is expanding that mm -hmm. fast. So, yes. Well, this, this might suggest that at one time, the universe was beaming with intelligent life, and we're towards the last trillion years of death yeah. for well, intelligence. The, the first five billion years, the universe was a little uh, more chaotic and, well, and less uh, a better capable. Party. There was a better party a little while ago. <laughs> now it's the first people stars, have gone home. <laughs> the, the first stars were a thousand times the size of the sun, and they're made up entirely of hydrogen. And it's like they lived for a very short period of time and then exploded massively creating all the heavy elements. And we require, as life forms, heavy elements to, to actually be. You can't have, like, hydrogen beings. So without the, the maturation of these stars... We wouldn't have be, donuts. Well, we wouldn't have donuts, but we wouldn't have life. Right. So it's like it, it took the universe a while to get the ingredients to make life. So I'm not so sure there were a whole lot of earlier creatures. Okay. I don't know. All right. And here we are, you guys in the audience. Probably thought this would never happen, but we've reached the last one. <laughs> Twist ending. Get ready for it. We are the aliens. You are. You're yeah. going ancient aliens, man. So this one says... He's um, not saying it's aliens, but it's aliens. If you left your house today, you saw an alien. The woman delivering mail, an alien. Your next-door neighbor... A nosy alien. Your parents and siblings, alien, alien, aliens. I know in my own personal life that's definitely table? true. Alien. Um, at least that's one implication of the fringe astrobiology theory called the panspermia hypothesis. Very grown-up word, transpermia. 
mm-hmm. uh, panspermia. In a nutshell, the hypothesis says that much of the life we see on Earth today didn't originate here, but was seeded here millions of years ago by meteors carrying bacteria from other worlds. Proponents of this theory have variously suggested that occupy, uh, octopi, tardigrades, and humans were seeded here from other parts of the galaxy. But unfortunately, there's no real evidence to back up any of that. Mm-hmm. And one big counter-argument if bacteria carrying human DNA evolved on another nearby planet, why haven't we found traces of humanity anywhere else besides Earth? So, um, well, all life on Earth is chemically related. It, it's literally you can figure out your place in the order of life chemically. It's like uh, humans are almost identical to chimpanzees, with a 99% the same DNA. Uh, 98 to 97 percent with gorillas. 97%. Some would argue it's almost 100 percent. With what? In some people. <laughs> Let's not be mean. <laughs> no. Well, no. It's gorillas are awesome. Yeah. It's like Coco the gorilla died recently. She had a like 5,000 word sign language capacity. She actually made her own signs. Uh, very intelligent. Uh, they don't. They just don't look like us, and they can't talk with that because they don't have what's called a hyoid bone. Uh, it's the only bone in your body not connected to other bones. It makes speech possible. Hmm. Uh, but they can talk with sign language. But we have preferences for things that can talk. But the panspermia, most models imply that life evolved on Mars first because it cooled down earlier. And then with its lighter gravity, you could knock uh, bacteria that have this ability to insist themselves which means they can protect themselves for a limited time in space. Mm-hmm. But from other, other galaxies, other stars, there's a limit. It's like DNA degrades after about 1.4 million years, and it would take longer Even than that. Even frozen solid in the mm-hmm. depths of space? Yeah, because cosmic radiation oh, is, yeah, is still true. happening. Right. But it's like the, even the nearest star, Proxima Centauri, it would take longer than that for uh, a rock that was blown off the surface of a planet to travel from there to here. Right. So panspermia from outside the solar system, highly unlikely. Uh, from Mars, possible. That, that's, that's, that's possible. But all life on Earth is related to all other life on Earth, as far as we can tell. Right. We can, and DNA is an Earth molecule. It didn't come from somewhere else. And it's like, it, well, it might have come from Mars. But yeah. um, humans fit in very well into the, into the ecosystem we have now. It's, they didn't come from the stars. Uh, the star children are But if we had silly. billions of years to evolve, I mean, the Earth's been around, what, four and a half billion years? Yes and yes and no. I mean, the, Earth, the Earth has, but the Earth as you know it has not. Right. Uh, if you went back two billion years and you were in space, Earth was purple because it, it, uh, the life that existed was like cyanobacteria, the anaerobic. It, it made the oceans purple. Um, not a life, there's no oxygen. We couldn't live there. Um, since the advent of chlorophyll uh, and chlorophyll-producing uh, animals, we have an oxygen atmosphere. But at varying right. times... But if we had... Organisms from Mars that were blasted here in the past, there'd be plenty of time to evolve. And that might be life what forms where this, yeah, where this but, planet's perfectly suited. And that could be, but it would be all the life on this planet, right? Because it's all related, right? So, right. except tardigrades. Tardigrades are weird. Yeah, 
Um, they're wildly tough. Uh, they can they can not drink for 20 years, and then you give them a little water, and they're just fine. Yeah. Uh, they can live in deep space. They uh, can handle extreme pressures, tremendous amounts of radiation. They can also navigate the mycelium network. That is <laughs> sci-fi, which is actually what this podcast is all about. Yes. So I'll forgive you for that. All right. <laughs> well, listen, um, that is our uh, our last reason that we've got on the sheet here. There may be more, but that's the last one on the sheet. So let's take yeah, a quick they didn't, break they didn't here. didn't mention that we were being just raised as somebody else's pets eventually. Right. We <laughs> it's another option. We could be in a secret zoo. But let's take a quick break. We'll touch on that when we come back and see some more uh, lovely cosplay from the convention. Uh, I am uh, Major Den Denny Freeman from Stargate. Uh, we have a uh, group here in uh, Nebraska called Stargate Nebraska. Um, we have some uh, actual pieces from the show. Right. We have the, right here is called the Quindosum Test Device. Uh, it's featured in the episode uh, in Stargate Atlas and the episode The Brotherhood. It uh, is a nice little piece. It's made out of uh, wood and MDF. We've got the stones right here. Now tell us about the light-up sign that you have behind you. Uh, this right here is part of the staircase for Stargate Atlantis inside the control room. And in fact, we have a photograph right here. If you, you can, can see that. that. The okay. Okay, which step okay. is that? And it is this step right here. It's not all of it, it's just part of it. So what's the name of your group? Stargate Nebraska. Stargate Nebraska. Yep. We have a website. We have a website, yep. Uh, StargateNebraska.com. Okay. okay. Yeah. Got to put a dash in between the two. I am Delirium, which is one of the seven kind of incarnations of this pantheon that Neil Gaiman created for a comic book series called Sandman, um, which took place in like the late 80s, early 90s, and so I am one of those seven, and I am Delirium. And uh, what's been the favorite cosplay you've done so far? I really haven't done that many. Delirium is fun. My boyfriend and I did Newt's Commander and Queenie for a while. There's one coming up I'm kind of excited for, which is like an off-the-clock Shigo from Kim Possible that I've been toying around with. So okay. just kind of depends, yeah. And uh, have you, do you usually go to a lot of cons? Do you have anything that you're looking forward to that's coming um, up? So the big one that's in my city in Kansas City is Planet Comic Con in February. So I'm really excited for that one. I am uh, David Tennant's Tenth Doctor uh, from Doctor Who. Uh, yeah, obviously you're going with the uh, blue suit for him rather than the uh, uh, the brown one there. And I've been uh, doing this for about uh, four ye four years. It's the first time I debuted as uh, Tenth Doctor. Uh, I also uh, do. Uh, in fact, tomorrow I'll be here as uh, Newt's Commander. So a lot of myself are underappreciated characters, uh, like Count Olaf from a series of unfortunate events. I have uh, one of those. I also have uh, Milo Thatch from uh, Atlantis, uh, the Disney uh, you know, cartoon, which everyone likes. When they see it, they get their eyes just get big as socks. I'm like, oh my gosh! And just seeing that joy on people's faces, that and, and the fact that I can bring that joy, uh, it's it, it's a lot of fun. Uh, original design, uh, Alchemist in the making. Over the years, I found it was easier to, with the exception of certain pieces, to keep an eye at it through stores and garage sales. You never know what someone's getting rid of. Uh, the staff is something of my father's. He found it in his backyard when he was a kid and just hung on to it. I just repurposed it. Uh, the rest of it I found at thrift stores, with the exception of the corset and the shoes, which I special ordered. 
do you have any cosplay that you're planning for the future? Uh, yes, I am planning to add more pieces to this one. I plan to make um, bond hooks and earpieces, and if I'm feeling brave, maybe some horns. Not from anything particular, unless you want to say Bram Stoker is Dracula, otherwise it's just casual Victorian vampire. Most of this is just from a thrift shop, and it was going to be like, you know what, what should I do for Halloween? I'm like, oh, I know, vampire, and then it just kind of spiraled from there on. And what got you interested in doing cosplay? I think the facts of Halloween costumes, especially when it comes to girls and store-bought ones and not ever being able to find something worth wearing. All right. Well, that was interesting. And now uh, let's get back to our show here. I so, was so impressed by all of that. It was very impressive. All the things that you're going to put in later. Yes. Mm. So, yes. We were just letting our minds run rampant. Yes. So yes. Charles, Charles had an interesting point well, before we did the break. That's, we could me, be the part most, of an intergalactic zoo. Most where likely we're just being involved. It doesn't have to be us as humans, but they're waiting for one of us to fly past the moon, and then we'll be fluffy. Fluffy. And we'll be a pet? Well, I mean, isolation would make sense. I mean, the prime directive of, of uh, Star Trek is actually a valid idea. It's like, look what happened to the Native Americans. Look what happened to the Japanese. Look what happened to the populations of Central and South America. Uh, look what happened to indigenous African populations when uh, contact was made. It, it always destroys the lesser culture. And it doesn't have to be physical. People don't have to come and, like, like destroy them physically. They, right. just but it changes knowing, their culture. D it does. does. Knowing their... that there's other ways yeah. uh, always modifies cultures. It destroys cultures the way they are. Um, so the prime director, if they want humans to develop, I kind of hope that they actually don't. They come and slap <laughs> us around a bit. You know, <laughs> so wake up. We are obviously incapable of ruling ourselves, so maybe someone should do it for us because we're just not good at it. We're not. But so. would, I don't well, suppose people would tolerate that. Yeah, would, well, would, would we be willing to take on no. a, a better culture if well, we that, ran that's into just it? it? It's like, what does willing have to do with it? Some would, but some wouldn't. Well, well. let's just say that uh, we made contact with an extraterrestrial civilization and we found out that they have been living at peace for millions of years. Would a certain segment of the population seek to find the wisdom of how they've done that? I think and then, they would, yeah. And then emulate that, and then over time change how they do things? I think a certain segment would. I think there are those that wouldn't change no matter what. Yeah, yeah but over time they would become the minority. Over time, perhaps that would be the way things actually... And that's kind of how cultures change it's it, everyone wonders about culture change what happens is the old people have to die because they become set in their ways and then the younger generation can take over and it's like that's one of the weird things about like the u.s government right now is that the senate's full of octogenarians people are 80 it's like uh, they there's no new fresh blood coming into for changes of ideals so and that's that's part of human systems is that the young take over for the old after the old have taught them how to do things. And we're kind of subverting that. But contact, yeah, we might yeah. just find that we like it. Yeah. Well, so I think change is good. I, well, I do too. 
I love change. You love change? I love change, yeah. All right. Spare change? Yeah. Well, none of that. Yeah. No. <laughs> you just, uh, you have an endless supply yes. of dad jokes. I'll take yeah. Bill, it's just it's like, it's like, like a, you're just the pun master. Well, Do you everybody has to is, have is a... Is there a book? You should write a book. <laughs> Bill's puns. I right. love it. I do. But I like these articles. Dollar bills change puns. Yeah. All right. Uh, that hurt. That was like physically <laughs> painful. Yeah. But but yeah. Thank you for that. You're welcome. I like these articles. I liked it a lot. <clears throat> it is. Um, any new news on Star Trek? Um, I haven't heard anything new lately. Um, let's see. There was something I was reading. Now I can't remember it. Uh, hold on. Keep talking, and I'll uh, find it here. All right. Well, um, I'm like, what? Well, what do you think, Audie? You haven't said anything all day. Well, I made a couple of small comments. Small comments. Oh. But what, well, what do you think about the articles? What do you think about extraterrestrials coming here and showing us an example of how to live differently? I would look forward to it. No. Right. Well, man, a few words. Would you be willing to change? Uh, like I said earlier, what if I love change. What if it involved lots of physical labor? That would be my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> well, humans are actually designed for physical labor. And, and, yeah. and actually, since jobs are how people define themselves in their society, uh, it wouldn't be hard to actually set up a system of work versus reward that would, that would work for human populations. So we all like to work. Look, you came here today, and I watched you set up all this podcast equipment. That's a lot of work. Why did you yeah. do it? Because it gives you pleasure. It really does. Doing this right now, hmm. you're, you, you do this, and it's like... Well, I'm enjoying this part of it. Think, the well, setup, not so yes. much. <laughs> well, the setup... But the setup's like, required. I no, A little bit of work for a lot of pleasure. You enjoy it, because I think you're the kind of guy who loves the problem. Whenever something goes wrong, it's like you, you, you get this weird look in your eye, and it's like you're just troubleshooting. And it's like I think that there's little endorphins flowing through you when you get that problem. It's like, ah, I get to solve a problem. <laughs> and then, you know, if it's – and the harder it is, the happier you get. It's like, that's not it. Let's try this. <laughs> and it's like, well, I'm just like mm, – mm, you're not like that. You like the challenge. This is what you do. This is your pleasure. And uh, to do it is work, right? But you don't think about it as work, because we've been well, we've been trained capitalistically to think that one, you should get paid for your work, and two, and you are through yeah. pleasure. But also, uh, that for some reason, we think that we shouldn't enjoy our jobs. Right. I enjoy my job, and I enjoy my pleasure. Okay. Well, <laughs> I don't know how to take that. Okay. So yeah, I, I found I found the article I was looking for. So I'm going to take a show of hands, first of all, before I give you the, the headline here. How many of you enjoy reading science fiction or fantasy books? Well, that's 100%. Almost. No, Linda was out. Oh. Okay. Well, so Linda I said almost. Linda can't read, so she doesn't count. <laughs> so but so this, this is news. This is news. This, so was, this, this, this is, is our today. segment. This is our segment Real of news. fictional news. <clears throat> yes. Real science fictional news. So if you like speculative fiction, like science fiction fantasy, you're going to love this piece of news. Sci-fi 
and fantasy readers make better lovers. This is according to a new study published by researchers at the University of Oklahoma and published in the Journal of Psychology of Aesthetics, Creativity and the Arts. Um, basically, the title of the publication was What You Read and What You Believe, Genre Exposure and Beliefs Pertaining to Relationships. So the new research shows that science fiction and fantasy readers have more mature beliefs about romantic relationships than readers who gravitate towards suspense, romance, or even highbrow literature, according to this publication. Um, <clears throat> says the study analyzed the reading habits and relationship responses from 404 adult participants in English-speaking countries. The participants were first given a genre recognition test with 15 <laughs> authors. Is this a genre? Yes. Yeah, with 15 authors in each of seven literary genres. Classics, contemporary literary fiction, fantasy, horror romance, science fiction, and suspense thriller. Horror and romance? Is that one word? Horror yes. So like the no. sparkly horror, vampires and comma, stuff? Horror, romance. And they also like you missed an or. inserted 45 additional fake author names just to weed out people who wanted to appear smart by pretending to recognize every name on the list. Yes. Pendington so, Simple Pants. So the research, yeah, the research subjects also took tests to determine how much they relied on others in relationships, where they scored on the big five personality traits from agreeableness, conscientiousness, extroversion, neuroticism, and openness, and how they felt about a number of negative relationship beliefs, such as when couples disagree, it seems like the relationship is falling apart, or people who have a close relationship can sense each other's needs if they, as if they could read each other's minds. So those were some of the so, um, things. They, they, so British Fest is for lovers is what you're trying to say? That's what I'm trying to say. Oh. Well, so, so, yeah. So read more science fiction. Read more, yes. You'll have a better sex oh, life, that makes I sense, think, is what that comes down to. Because compared to the cold, dark vastness of space, your significant other... Is warmer. Is, yeah, you'll appreciate... <laughs> Yes. Where somebody that's yeah. just reading romance all the time. You'll appreciate her mammalian characteristics. Right, right. She generates heat. Right, she generates so, yes. heat in the cold vastness of space. In the cold vastness <laughs> of space, she generates heat. Wow, that is the worst love story I've ever heard. <laughs> it's like, hey, I'm a mammal. Are you a mammal? Yeah, I see it all happening now. Yeah, that was perfect. Like, she was I actually warm. Yeah, she was actually warm. And it was warm. love at first sight. Yeah. I was so cold. But love at so first warm. embrace. Yeah. This is, we're going down a path we shouldn't, I think. I feel like we've just said the last joke before we, like, go blue. And I don't know that we want to continue. No, we don't want to go blue. Any further. Yeah. Let me see if there was any other. Uh, but, but, but. It was sci-fi was the better genre compared to the others. Yes, sci-fi people that embrace sci-fi and fantasy reading were much more open and much more grounded in the reality of relationships than people that read romances or horror or horror. <coughs> right. Surprise, surprise. Right. Huh. Well, yeah. Go figure. Horror fans are not better lovers. I just don't get that. Again, we've reached the bottom of that particular well. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we should pursue that one any farther. But uh, we could. We shouldn't. We, we, we shouldn't. shouldn't. We shouldn't. Okay, so now I've got for you a list of 10 sci-fi 
and fantasy recommendations to kickstart your August reading. Uh, let's all see. Right. Here's one called. Well, do I know any of them? Because all I'm going to say think is, so. you know, no. It's like I don't, I don't know what that is, and that's going to be my whole comment toward books that I, I haven't even heard of. Iron Bones is one of them. All right, that. I, all right, I don't, I don't know what to think about that. Uh, it has to deal with a group of elite bounty hunters known as the Wild Hunters. I don't know. I don't, All right. I don't, feel I don't like, see anything here that I've ever heard like, of. I feel like this is a dry that's socket. They're, that's because they're new. Yeah, true. We're going down a path where... Some of the book covers look intriguing. Yeah. Well, I bet they do. They, they, they're designed that way. Yeah. Sometimes I've read books where the book cover is actually better than the book. <laughs> you know, it yeah. is. It's like seeing a movie that they actually showed all the best scenes in the in the trailers, and then you go there, and it's like, you know, what's this? Right. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes they actually portray the movies as comedies when the only the only comedies they had uh, were in the trailers. It's like it's actually a serious movie. It's like that always makes me mad. It's like if yeah. you're gonna promise me a comedy, you give me a comedy. Right. I'm gonna get mad. Right. Well, I hate when you see the preview and you've almost seen the whole movie. You see the trailer and you, there's nothing, very little left to surprise you. Well, listen, uh, I think we're bordering on running into the yeah. next panel's time here. Yeah, and that guy's a, you know, he's he's he can be a dick. He, he well, he fits. I wasn't going to. I wasn't going to say it, but yeah, there might I be some, might be some, some anal tendencies. Yes, yes. yes. So. so yeah. Well, listen, thanks to the audience for hanging with us and sitting there. That's applause. We got a, we got a few claps. Soak That's it good. in. That's the last mm-hmm. you'll ever hear. <laughs> so, anyway, um, thanks all of uh, you out there in um, computer land for listening. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again next week. Yes. This is Bill signing off. Bye. John? Um, this is John also signing off. And Audie. Goodbye. This is Charles. I'll probably keep talking after this is over. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of the Galactic Driftwood Podcast. For more information and past episodes, please visit our website at galacticdriftwood.space. And now, please deactivate your cranial downlinks, collect your towels, and be sure to watch your step as you exit the gravity well.